بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم صلى الله عليك يا رسول الله صلى الله عليك وعلى أهل بيتك المظلومين صلى الله عليك يا مولاي وابن مولاي الله الواسع ويا باب نجاة الأمة ما خاب من تمسك بكم أمنا والله من لجأ رحمة الله الواسعة يا غريب ويا مظلوم كربلاء يا ليتنا ثم يا ليتنا كنا معكم سيدي فنفوز فوزا عظيما بر محمد وال محمد صلوات بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين الحمد لله الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لنهتدي لولا ان هدانا الله واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن سيدنا وعظيمنا وحبيب قلوبنا النبي المؤيد والرسول المسدد والمصطفى الأمجد والمحمود الأحمد حبيب إله العالمين أبي القاسم محمد صلوات الله وسلامه عليه وعلى أهل بيته الطيبين الطاهرين المعصومين سفن النجاة الأعلام من ركب سفينتهم نجا ومن تخلف عنها هلك وغرق ثم أما بعد Respected elders, brothers and sisters السلام عليكم جميعا ورحمة الله وبركاته Of course in these holy nights we are renewing our pledge and our allegiance to none other than to our master, our imam Abi Abdullah al-Hussein salawatullah wa salamu alayhi and to the rest of Ahlul Bayt and namely of course and at the forefront none other than Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his holy book mentions the following verse in which he states Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim Walladheena jahadu feena lanahdiyannahum subuluna wa inna allaha lama'al muhsineen this ayah is found in Surah Ankabut, verse 69. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in this particular ayah the following, And those who struggle and strive in our path, we will surely guide them to our ways. And indeed, Allah is with the doers of good. This ayah is extremely important in the sense 
that as Muslims and truly followers of Ahlul Bayt the concept of struggle goes hand in hand with Islam. You cannot separate Islam from struggle. In fact, I can go and say with the most emphatic terms that you cannot have Islam without struggle. It's part and parcel of being a Muslim to go through trouble, uh, struggle. In another verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, chapter 3, verse 92. لَن تَنَالُوا الْبِرَّ حَتَّى تُنْفِقُوا مِمَّا تُحِبُّونَ حَتَّى تُنْفِقُوا مِمَّا تُحِبُّونَ وَمَا تُنْفِقُوا مِنْ شَيْءٍ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ بِهِ عَلِيمٌ Meaning, never will you attain true righteousness until you spend in the way of Allah from that which you love the most. Now, spending in this context does not always mean financial spending. It could be anything. It could be knowledge. It could be something relating to experience that you can share with someone, teaching someone. As long as you spend what you love the most, that what means to you the most, you are willing to forfeit it for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there is a saying that goes along the following terms. Give Allah what is best, not what is left. You understand? Give Allah what is best, not what is left. Often in our case, if we want to give Allah something, we would go to the wardrobe, we find the worst shirt, and we will give it to that impoverished person. No, Habibi, if you wear Versace, give the Versace. Right? If you, give the, if you wear the LV, give the LV. Right? Don't give the, what do you call it? Do you have Target here? Maybe, I don't know. You have Target here? Yeah, you have Target. All right? Or whatever. Or Marshalls, right? Don't give from Marshalls, right? Give what you love the best. Something that means to you that if you part with it, your heart is about to be pulled out of your heart. That's what you part away with. Because we are not better than Ahlul Bayt, salawatullahi salamu alayhim ajma'in. When we have something like Lady Zahra, salamullah alayha, on her wedding night, she gives away her wedding dress and wedding gowns. That shows you what this ayah is talking about. You shall never attain true righteousness until you give to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala what you love the most. And in the case of Imam Hussein, in the case of Imam Hussein, he gave Abu al-Fadl. Allah was not satisfied. He gave Ali al-Azghar. He was not satisfied. He gave all his companions. He was not satisfied. He gave Ali al-Azghar. He was not satisfied until Imam Hussein stood in the plains of Karbala and looked towards heaven and he said, You take, O Allah, until you are satisfied. Allah says, I'm not satisfied until you are martyred. Until you, O Hussein, are martyred. And that's exactly what happened. He went out and he was martyred himself, And then the pledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala happened. The pledge of Allah materialized. The pledge of Allah to sacrifice someone in place of Ismail did not take place. Right? Did it take place? Can someone tell me that the pledge that Allah made to Ibrahim, salamullah alayhi, when he said, وَفَدَيْنَاهُ بِذِبْحٍ عَظِيمٍ 
we, we, we gave in lieu of Ismail a great sacrifice. Now listen to this from an Arabic perspective. Those who know Arabic, and I'm sure there are some of you in the audience who even may know Arabic grammar better than me. The term Azim in Arabic cannot be ascribed linguistically to an animal. The word Azim in Arabic cannot be ascribed in describing an animal. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and we redeemed Ismail with a great sacrifice, he was not talking about that ram that came from heaven. He was talking about something else that will preserve the religion of Ibrahim all the way to the religion of Muhammad. Sallu ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. And that redemption that is azim and great was none other than your Imam Because a sacrifice had to be offered. A sacrifice had to be offered in lieu of the growth of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants this religion to grow with. He spills his blood for the sake of Allah and dies in the course of spilling his blood only to revive on account of his blood millions and millions of people after him. So he dies for you and me. He dies for your prayers, for your fasting, for every act of worship. How audacious can we be as Muslims that we can come only once a year, which is good. Don't uh, misunderstand me. I say to all my brothers who run centers around the world, if you see a new face, please open your heart, your heart and your arms and embrace a new face in our center, even if you haven't seen them for a year or two or three, right? We should have that attitude of positivity where we are able to embrace anyone that comes for Hussein because you never know what will come out of that person. You will never know how this life or how the life of this individual will happen from attending one medlis of Imam Hussein right? So be accommodating, be open, be embracing, be accepting of anyone that comes and do not criticize. Someone has a funny hairdo, it's not my business, right? Someone who's wearing, I don't know what colors, it's not me to be in a place to criticize him and say, how dare you come? If he's coming, he's coming for a reason, right? And that reason is in his heart for the love of his imam, right? So we need to accommodate that. But in general, I'm speaking, in general, to defy religious commitments and ruling. An obligation is something that will not be looked favorably on by our Imam Because if we come for Hussein, we need to emulate Hussein We need to follow in his footsteps. And we know that Hussein did not compromise on any of the rules and the obligations of Islam. In fact, in fact, when he 
was approached by one of his companions and said to him, Yabna Rasulillah, the time of salah has come upon us. He said, Zakarta salah ja'alakallahu minal musalleen. He said, you remembered salah. May Allah inscribe your name among those who are known as those who offer their prayers. And then he said to his brother Abu al-Fadl al-Abbas, go to Umar ibn Sa'd and ask him for some respite so that we can pray in the midst of the battlefield. He died to preserve that medium that is called salah, right? And we should be someone that would fight with everything that we have, with every vigor that we can find in ourselves in order to preserve the medium of salah and fasting and hajj and khums and zakat and goodness and being cheerful and positive and accommodating and having akhlaq and morals just like our imams and the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to express and used to accommodate others in their presence. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Ahlul Bayt were the epitome of akhlaq. Akhlaq. You know, in the, in the battle of, uh, of, of Karbala, Shimr al comes to Abu al-Fadl al-Abbas and calls out, Aina ibn ukhtina? Where is our kinship, Abu al-Fadl al-Abbas, who is related to us through our mothers? So Abu al-Fadl al-Abbas does not respond does not reply imam hussein says to his brother reply to his request it is only ethical that when someone calls on you to reply and respond to his request so abul fadl abbas goes to shibri said what's your story he said al amir mean the, the leader umar ibn sa'ad has given you a pledge of safety for you and your brothers he said, may you lose everything in your life, O Shimmer. You give me a pledge of safety while my Imam al Hussein ibn Ali is left alone without a pledge of safety? You think I would leave the battlefield because of your pledge, because of my relationship with you, while my Imam is stranded alone, gharib, in the plains of Karbala? That is something that will never be given to you. I will go and die wherever my imam is. This is commitment. This is true struggle. When it comes your way, that's how you respond to a struggle. You don't waver. You don't waver. You don't give up. You, can't, you don't say, I can't bear this. You know why you cannot say that? Because Allah's words are emphatic. And Allah's words are clear, translucent, transparent. He said in Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah does not burden a soul beyond its means and capabilities. So if Allah tests you with something, it is within the parameters of your capability and ability. Right? So any struggle that comes our way, should be received with open arms because that's how we grow. That's how we grow. You do not, and we are not born from the wombs of our mothers able to walk. No, we stumble, we fall, we get up, we fall to our face, we get injured, we get scratched. 
while our parents are looking at us and they are actually smiling because you know this is part of growth, right? It's part of your growth. And you cannot grow in religion without having the ability to go through these struggles. Briefly, let us now ask this question. Why then must Islam be so emphatically linked with the idea of struggle? Why can't a person become a good Muslim without involving himself or herself in struggle that, is necessarily, that necessarily requires sacrifice? Okay, I can go through struggle, but why do I have to sacrifice? Okay, Why are they intertwined? Why struggle goes hand in hand with sacrifice? The answer is simply that you can't, and for a very obvious reason, you cannot be a good Muslim if you do not go through struggles and sacrifice. You can't. It's the formula that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has set forth for the believers in his face. Firstly, and I'll explain in details why this is so. Islam, as you know, brothers and sisters, is not merely a confession of faith that is made once in a lifetime. Right? Example. How do you enter Islam? What do you say to become a Muslim? Why are you afraid? Say it. Yeah, la ilaha illallah. That's right. You give the testimony of faith. What is that testimony of faith? Ashhadu an la ilaha illa Allah. I bear testimony that there is no God but Allah. Secondly, the faith that we testify to is of cosmic dimension. It requires a radical reorientation of the entire life and the world we live in. Thirdly, the confession is not merely verbal. You're not expected as a Muslim to say, La ilaha illallah, khudna hafiz. Right? Nothing comes after. La ilaha illallah. Interestingly enough, brothers and sisters, that our faith does not begin with affirmation. It begins with negation. Have you realized that? Have you ever realized that Islam does not begin with affirmation? It begins with negation. So what are you saying, in fact? You're saying to Allah, or you're saying to yourself first, and to everyone around you, I do not believe in any God. Right? You're saying, La ilaha. Literally, what are you saying? There is no God. There is no deity. There is no God. But this negation of all the gods represent which kind of gods? The true one or the false one? The false one. So you're saying, there is no God that is false in my life. I will not entertain a God that is false. Whether that God is lying, whether that God is ujub, whether that God is self-conceit, whether that God is greed, whether that God is all the eight men that represents everything that is evil in my heart. I negate all of this. I negate all of them. And then I confirm to one deity only, which is the true, everlasting, omnipotent, one and only Allah. 
and then I confirm La ilaha illa Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's how your faith begins with negation and then with confirmation. So there is no doubt anymore in your heart. Interestingly, interestingly, you know of a famous Muslim doctor called Ibn Sina. In, in the English world, they call him Evishinia. You know why they call him Evishinia, by the way? You know why they call him Evishinia in the West? So they don't recognize him as a Muslim. So when they were teaching his books, and one of the most famous books they taught up until to the 17th century in the universities of Europe, something called Al-Qanun, the law, the law. The book is called The Law. The Law meaning the law of medicine. It was the only book that was taught about medicine in the West. Imagine if you call him Ibn Sina and people start asking, that's a strange name. It doesn't sound, you know, English or Greek. Huh? But Evishinia passes for a Greek, right? So everyone automatically would assume that the name is associated with what? With someone who's Greek dismisses any link to Islam and Muslim achievement, you know, and how much Islam contributed to the rise of the Western civilization. They don't want you to know that, obviously. Logarithm. Logarithm? Seriously? Who is logarithm? Huh? Khawarizmi. That's logarithm. Khawarizmi. See this? See this? You would not have it had it not for logarithm, khawarizmi. This one you would not have. All to do with logarithm. It was founded by the master of mathematics and logarithm, which is khawarizmi. They don't want you to know that. They'll call it logarithm. Logarithm? Yeah, maybe Greek methodology, you know, or some, I don't know, ancient Greek god. To defy everything about your faith. To take away every credit from you. So that when you come to the West and live among the West, you think, oh wow, look at that democracy. Ya Allah. Huh? It's like we are coming from behind the cows, you know, and the sheep. We don't know anything about civilization. We don't know anything about development. We don't know anything about progress. We don't. If we were usurped the right to continue the legacy and the heritage we had, we would not be here. Right? We would be still pouring knowledge and scientific advancement to the entire world. America next door, do you know how they grew? Do you know how they got their technology from? From all the Jews that migrated from Spain to America. That's how America survived. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. Go read your history and go the history that is available to us. They took all the knowledge of the Muslim in Andalusia. Or all Spain, right? And they poured it there and they, you know, started teaching everyone and advancing themselves with that knowledge. Negation of every false deity is a must to begin confirmation of your faith. So this uh, uh, Ibn Sina goes to visit a town in Khorasan, they say, or in Mashhad, somewhere around that. So everyone is preparing themselves to go and witness this great scholar who is coming to visit Khorasan. And there is an old lady with a stick walking towards the field. Someone looks at her and says, you're not going to meet the great Dr. Ibn, 
Avicenia or Ibn Sina, who wrote a hundred articles to prove the existence of God. A hundred articles to prove the existence of God. She said, what the heck? I'm paraphrasing. Okay. She said, what the heck? hundred articles to prove God? They said, yes. You're not going? She said, no, I'm not. This guy must have issues that he needs hundred articles to prove God in his existence. I don't need one single article to believe God exists. Subhanallah. He needs 100 articles. And he's a doctor. And you're all rushing to him. I don't need one single article. Subhanallah. This is called the Iman of Fitrah. You know what Iman is this? The Iman of innate nature. Which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Fitratullahi allati fatara nasa alayya. It's the innate nature by virtue of which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created every single human being with. Just like the Prophet sallallahu said, Every single human being is born with that innate nature. Why? Because Allah cannot create you with something that you don't have the potential to believe in and then expect you to believe in it. Impossible. You need to be or to have this pre-program pre in you to have the potential to be able that once you realize the truth, you are able to follow it. Otherwise, you can't follow it. So the confession is not merely verbal. It is an act of witnessing. It's an act of witnessing which must transform life into a living and continuing testimony of faith which means you enter islam by saying shahada bearing witness but you can only live in islam by continuously making shahada do you follow you enter islam by shahada but you remain and continue to be muslim by applying shahada continuously day in and day out right it's a constant movement of growth. It is not just a testimony that you say once. And that's why Abu Sufyan, when the Prophet came to Mecca and said, all I ask you for is one statement. One statement and one statement only. So Abu Sufyan said to Rasulullah, what is this statement, Ya Muhammad? He said to bear witness that there is only one God you know, Rasulullah is speaking to Arabs. They know how the sentences in the Arabic language are structured. They know that this sentence has a negation which it begins with. La, the letter La, no. Huh? No. So he looks at the Prophet because he knows he's an Arab. He knows his language very well. He said, listen here, mate. I'm, again, I'm paraphrasing. He said, listen. I will give you a thousand other statements other than this one statement. Do you know why? Because he knew he was one of those la God, one of the false God of Mecca. He was one of them. He realized that his authority will be washed away, that he cannot be a God anymore in Mecca because he appointed himself as one of those false deities in Mecca over those impoverished ones and those that were under his yoke and control. So he said, not a thousand 
I will give you a thousand other statements, but not this statement. Rasulullah said simply, simply, he said, I'm only after this one statement. I'm only after this one statement. Fourthly, once you do the shahada, this act will bring you into ceaseless confrontation with false God inside and outside. That's why I said Islam is intertwined with struggle. Right? The minute you say la ilaha illallah, you think people are going to leave you alone? Hmm? You say, I don't believe in false God. I don't believe in all these so-called democracies and so-called, you know, uh, governments that are suppressing my freedom. And you know what? When it comes to the question of freedom, do not talk to me about freedom anymore in this world. Huh? It's all double standards. It's all double standard. You know? Transgender can survive. No, nope, I have no issues. Let them identify whatever they want. They want to identify. Now we have 56 genders up to date. Where the hell did they get 56 genders from? I don't know. Well, I don't know. What, what are 56 genders? Like male, female, XY, double X. End of the story. That's what science says. Ah, sorry. I remembered yesterday I made a statement. They said we don't need science anymore to identify genders. Hajib, you've been telling us science this, science that. You have to learn science. You can grow without science. If you don't have science, you're a dead nation. All of a sudden, we don't need science to identify genders. Okay, fine. All right, what do you want? 50, 56 genders? Good. 56. Take it. All right? Here you go. 56 genders. It's okay. You have to respect them. Jesus who's considered in their terminology, in their belief system, a God. Doesn't matter. They want to believe that? That's their problem. Okay? It's their God. How many days they celebrate him? How many days they celebrate him? One day. One day, which is Christmas Eve, 25th of December, all of a sudden we have one whole pride month. Excuse me? Are you serious? One whole month in my faith. Why? What, what is, what is the, what's the logic? What is going on? Why is it in my faith all the time? What are we going to achieve out of it? You know? Well, you have to accept it. I'll accept it, but don't shove it down my throat. Right? These are the challenges you are facing. Because you're saying no to false gods. Right? No. To false deities. That's what's happening when you are saying, La ilaha illallah. It's a continuous act of struggle. But you know what? The beauty in that is despite all this struggle that you go through, you are the only one whose heart is in tranquility. You are the only one that goes to bed and put your head on the bed and you say, I surrender myself to the Lord of the universe, the one who raised the heavens and laid the earth. He is the supreme being. I surrender everything in his hands. And you sleep without a single worry. Right? Only with the remembrance of Allah that tranquility can overwhelm the heart of a believer. How many people out there, they have wealth, fame, 
you know, the rich and the famous, yachts, cars. When they come to sleep, they cannot sleep. They have depression. They have anxiety. They have serious, serious mental issues dealing with what? They have everything. Do you know what is missing? One thing is missing. One thing. And I don't want to say God. Because they say, ah, oh, we don't want God. I'll tell you something else that is missing. Vacuum. Vacuum. There's a complete vacuum inside them. You know? You get someone who entertains his whole life on cinema, on TV, on social networks, makes people laugh, he ends up dying from anxiety. Right? And then he says, I was the most loneliest person when I came back home. You know who I'm talking about, right? What's his name, this actor? Who? Ah, mashallah, Robin Williams. Alhamdulillah, you know your Hollywood actors really good. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, says, you have a problem, you have an issue, come to me. Come to me. You know, there is a famous uh, French uh, rap singer. Just recently, she became a Muslim. She's a very famous rap singer. I was watching her YouTube today. I forgot uh, her, her name. Louise, Louise, something like that. I don't know. She says, I was suffering from deep anxiety and depression that I didn't know what to do with myself. All of a sudden, I decided. And, she, and then her life started declining. She went to jail, left jail. She had a Muslim friend. She went to visit her after coming out of jail. When she went to visit her, that Muslim friend gave her a copy of the Quran translated into French. She said, what is this? I'm depressed, bro. I'm, I've, I've had it with life. I'm going to almost kill myself. And you're giving me this book? She said, I took it out of respect because she's a close friend of mine. Put it in her bag, and then she decided to go to the Caribbean for a holiday. Caribbean, you know, what the Caribbean. All the things that Allah talks about where he says, uh, invites us to examine nature, you'll find it in the Caribbean, right? Beautiful seas or beaches, beautiful plantations, beautiful forests, beautiful trees, you name it, clear skies. She says, I was sitting on top of one of the hills observing all this creation. It struck me that to pull out that Quran, start reading it. I read it. All of a sudden, I go to Suratul Mulk. Suratul Mulk. She says, I'm reading in Suratul Mulk. Inshallah, I can find it. Okay? I know the ayah anyway. I'm reading Suratul Mulk and I stumble across an ayah in Suratul Mulk that says what? Tabarakal ladhi biyadihil mulku wahu ala kulli shayin qadir. Alladhi khalaqal mawta wal hayata liyabluwakum ayyukum ahsan wa amalan wahu wa sami'ul البصير الذي خلق سبع سماوات ما ترى في خلق الرحمن من تفاوت she's reading Allah is the one who created seven heavens you do not see any holes or any discrepancies in them she said I was looking and then looking at the verse looking at the sky and looking at the verse third time I looked I said there are no holes just like Allah described 
Then she continued to read the next verse. She said, the verse that came after made me lose my mind. Because you know what she was doing? She was looking at the sky and coming back. What is the next verse after that in Surah Al-Mulk? Do you know? Allah says, Farji' al-Basara. Look again. But she didn't know. She didn't know that that was the following verse in the Quran. Look again, more than once, twice, you will find that your vision will defy you because you will never find fault in the creation of Allah. She said, when I read that, I stood on the tip of that hill and I declared, you are a God. You are a God. Because I didn't know what was next. This is the Quran we don't want. Huh? This is the Quran, we put it on the shelf, collecting dust. What do we want instead? Sport Illustrated. Sony PlayStation. Hmm? What's that game that people spend 36 hours on? What is it? Don't, don't be afraid, say it, say it. Wallah, I won't criticize you. What is it? Huh? Ah, thank you. Ahsant. Ahsant. Rahmallah walde. Ahsan. I know the brother, he has to know it because he's got kids that are driving him nuts maybe. Every day they want to upgrade. You know, don't worry. I go through the same scenario. Okay? We are all suffering from this. Scenarios, roadblocks. You know? I was giving a lecture a few years ago in our town, in my hometown. I was reading this roadblocks. What, what is it? What, what does it do? How many? Up to date, I don't know if I'm wrong. I, I think up to date it's 800 level. Is it? 859? I don't know. Something like that. 800 levels? 800 levels? Where else do you want me to go? Where else? Where else? Average, average people sitting playing this. Average people, not average. The longest person to have sat to play without any break except may Allah honor you, what they call toilet break. He had to go to toilet break. You know how many times, how many hours he spent one day not one day, playing the game, that one person, and he's not alone, by the way, 36 hours just with toilet breaks. This is the technology that we have at hand. By Allah, I say to you, if these 36 hours were spent researching something that benefits humanity, and if each and every one of us was to spend 36 hours researching something that will help humanity, Wallah, we'll, we, we will master the earth. We will master the earth. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, go fetch, you know, walk, explore the world. Because Allah made this world for you to subjugate. Allah wants you to control it. Allah wants you to take heed of that earth and, and use it and make it under your control, right? So once you do the shahada, this act will bring you into ceaseless confrontation with false gods inside you and outside you. And you have to struggle against these false gods. It will also require a ceaseless striving to reshape self and society so as to attest to your witnessing. Because Allah said about you and me, وَكَذَلِكَ جَعَلْنَاكُمْ أُمَّةً وَسَطًا لِتَكُونُوا شُهَدَاءَ عَلَى النَّاسِ وَيَكُونُوا الرَّسُولُ عَلَيْكُمْ 
Shahida, we made you a median nation so that you may become witnesses against every other nation and then the witness on you will be none other than Muhammad Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wa Wasallam. And I don't have time. I don't know how time here runs. It's already 8.55, seriously? I just got to the member. Subhanallah, anyway. This is the statement I want to conclude with because I need to go to the majlis. Being a Muslim thus requires becoming a Muslim. Because you're not a Muslim when you enter. You enter, then you have to become a Muslim. And you need to remain a Muslim throughout your journey. Right? Throughout your journey in life. Rasulullah is reminded. He was told. And he is Rasulullah. He is Rasulullah. Lived until the age of 63. Look what Allah says to him. Ya Muhammad. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. He says to him, Wa'bud. He says to him, Wa'bud rabbaka hatta ya'tiyaka al-yaqeen. O Muhammad, worship until you meet your death. Worship Allah. He is Rasulullah. Allah says in Surah Al-Fatih to him, لِيَغْفِرَ اللَّهُ مَا تَقَدَّمَ مِن ذَنْبِكَ وَمَا تَأَخَّرَ Everything you do, Ya Rasulullah, is not counted. Because you are Rasulullah, you don't do mistakes. But in case someone thinks you made a mistake, we will also not count it. Because you are Rasulullah, you are infallible. Allah forgives all to you, Ya Rasulullah. Allah forgives all. He is the master of paradise. He is still praying five times. Ajeeb. Huh? Not only that, Allah says to Rasulullah, you're not exempt. Why, Ya Allah, I'm already, I got there. He says, no, worship Allah until you meet your death. You know, that is because you need to evolve. The Prophet is saying this. The Prophet himself, sallallahu alayhi wa is saying, oh Allah, increase me more and more in knowledge. Subhanallah, increase me more and more in knowledge. Inshallah, tomorrow, I'll continue this because it's very interesting to, to know how to become a Muslim and to remain a Muslim regardless of the struggles or the trials or the you know, difficulties sometimes we go through as Muslims and as followers of this uh, divine religion. Sallu ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. You know, this is the third evening of Muharram or fourth evening marks the time when just about Imam Hussein landed in Karbala. So he's with the caravan and he's marching from Mecca towards uh, 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 Kufa initially, of course, and then he is, uh, his way is cut off or his way is uh, 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 hindered by the presence of Al-Hur Al-Rayahi, Al-Hur Ibn Ziyad, Al-Rayahi, Yazid Al-Rayahi. But the issue is before that, before, before what happens, there's there's lot of history behind it, where one day the Prophet sallallahu alaihi at home, and Jibrail descends on Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi bringing to Rasulullah from Jannah what we call in Arabic, and you know this, anyone who deals with, you know, the funeral. Uh, parlor and prepares the body for ghusl, something called hunut. It's a kind of scent that we put with the deceased person. 
as a form of respect and to give that beautiful order and beautiful essence and smell to the body. Hunut, Jibra'il brings it down. He gives it to Rasulullah. Rasulullah receives it from Jibra'il and he says, what is this, ya Jibra'il? He said, this is your Hanut, ya Rasulullah. This is your scent for when you pass away, this is something that they can put in your uh, shroud. So Rasulullah takes the Hunut and hands it over to Imam Ali Salawatullah. He says, there will be left over. So you use part of it. Firstly, you use some of it for my darling daughter, Fatima, because she's the first one to follow me. And there will also be some left, and you will give it to yourself. And there will also be some left, and you'll give it to Hassan. And he stopped. So Imam Hussein is standing next to Sayyidah Fatima, holding her hand. He shakes her hand. He says, Mama, what is the story? Where's my hunut? Where is my scent? So Fatima turns to Rasulullah and she said, you distributed this scent to all of us except Hussein. And Rasulullah looks at Fatima. He said, because he will die in a state that hunut is not required in his body. You cannot put a scent to someone who dies as a shaheed. You know, Imam al-Ridha, salawatullah wa salamu alayhi, is visited once by someone called Ibn Shabib. Ibn Shabib was a companion of Imam al-Ridha. He comes, it's the days of Ashura, something similar to these days, Muharram, and he finds Imam al-Ridha shedding his tears profusely. And he says, Ya ibn Rasulullah, why are you crying? He said, Ya ibn Shabib, if you really want to cry, cry for Hussein, salawatullah wa salamuhu alayhi. فَإِنَّ الْبُكَاءَ عَلَى الْحُسَيْنِ تَحُطُّ الذُّنُوبَ حَطَّهُ If you cry for Hussein, Allah will shake away your sins, no matter how much your sins are. Of course, I'm saying this in context. In context. It doesn't mean go and sin and then come and attend the majlis of Imam Hussein. No. It means if indirectly you sin, surely Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive you all your sins. Now the Imam Hussein is leaving from Mecca towards uh, uh, Karbala and on the way the people starts to disperse away from Imam Hussein Why they begin to disperse away from Imam Hussein Because they've just realized that Imam Hussein has already declared his mission. He's not going for power. He's going for reform. I did not come out seeking power or arrogance or haughtiness. I came for reform to fix what is, what has gone wrong in the nation of my grandfather Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I take you to Medina a little bit. When all the camels came lined up for all the women folk of Ahlul Bayt to move out, each person who had a woman or had a sister or had a mother in that particular situation gave help to their mother to ride the camel except one camel was standing and waiting and all of a sudden they formed two lines because there is a special lady coming to mount that camel and that lady is none other than Sayyidah Zainab when she comes out Abu al-Fadl al-Abbas comes towards her camel and he lifts his knee like this and he said sister now you can ride your camel she puts her, her leg on his leg 
and she rides with grace and absolute royalty. Salamullah alayha her camel. But when she came to Karbala and all the companions of Imam dies, and 17 or 18 brothers of Sayyida Zainab, Salamullah alayha, are slaughtered on the plains of Karbala like sheep. She calls towards the plains of Karbala. Where is my kafil? Where is my guarantor? Where is the one that when I left Medina, referring to Abu Fadl al-Abbas, where is the one that when I left Medina, he came and gave me a royal reception and a royal aid for me to ride my camel. Rise, oh Abu Fadl, rise from your day. Father and all the brothers of Sayyidah Zainab are now dead. She turns away towards Imam As-Sajjad, Salamullah She says, oh my nephew, oh my Imam, go to Umar ibn Sa'd. It is not befitting that they give right to our women folk to ride the camels. Let me and you, oh Sajjad, give way or give assistance to these ladies and children and to ride on the back of the camels. They approach Umar ibn Sa'd. Umar ibn Sa'd agrees to the request. They turn away their faces from the women folk of Ahlul Bayt. They began to assist the ladies one by one. Then it is the turn of Zainab and Zainul Abidin. You can imagine this scene now, brothers and sisters. Imam Zainul Abidin is injured. He's sick. He's married. Karbala. He cannot even help himself also in some situation. So she looks towards him and says, let me give you a hand to ride your camel. Oh, Zainul Abidin, he says, Auntie Zainab, how could I leave you? While you assist me, let me assist you. She turns again towards the plains of Karbala. You know what she says? She says, no, don't worry. I have someone who is called Abu Fadl. Salamullah alayhi will come to my rescue. He says, oh, aunt, Abu Fadl, my uncle, has his hand severed. He has an arrow fixed to his eye. His head is split into two pieces. Allahu Akbar. Rahimallah Mannada wa Husaynah wa Abbasah wa Zainabah. The scene doesn't end here, brothers and sisters. Five minutes of your time and I will finish even less. Before this, when Zainab, salamullah alayha, goes towards her brother when he was breathing his last, she goes and sits next to him. She holds him. She puts him on her chest. And by now, Imam Hussein is in a swoon. 
he is semi-subconscious, his eyes are closed, and he is battling his last breath. She sits next to him or behind him, and she rests her head or his head on her chest. And listen to what she says to him. She says, Aqsamtu alayk bijaddina Muhammad illa kallamt. She said, I take the name of Muhammad on you that you speak to me, oh, my brother Hussein. No answer. She says, I take an oath by the name of Allah and by the value of our father, common father, Ali ibn Abi Talib, salamullah alayhi, that you speak to me and you open your eyes. He doesn't respond. But there is a special, very special name to Imam Hussein, salawatullahi salamu alayhi. Of course, the name of Rasulullah is special. The name of Ali ibn Abi Talib is also special. So he turns, she turns towards him and says to him, Aqsamtu alayk. I take an oath on you, O Hussein, by the name of our Fatima Zahra, our mother. All of a sudden, Imam Hussein opens his eyes. Listen to what he says to her. You have increased my sorrows and my pain. Oh, Zainab, why are you taking the name of Fatima now? I cannot bear this name to be recited in front of me because he remembered all the tragedy and all the things that happened to his mother. And now he's experiencing similar pain and suffering at the hands of these enemies. Rahimallah, manada. May Allah have mercy and join me, brothers and sisters. May Allah have mercy on those who call out with the loudest of their voice, Wa Husayna. Wa Zainaba, Wa Abbasa. Join me, brothers and sisters, in Dua Al Marid or Dua Shifa Al Marid five times from the bottom of your hearts. For those who have asked us, for those who have a need, for those who are going through a particular challenge as far as their health or anything else, five times from the bottom of your uh, uh, heart with the loudest of your voices. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Amman yujibul muttarra idha da'a Amman yujibul wa yakshifu su' Amman yujibul muttarra idha da'a Amman yujibul muttarra idha da'a Last one with the loudest of your voices. Amman Bihaqti Muhammadin wa ali Muhammad By the right of Muhammad and the family of Muhammad Wabihaqti suratil fatihata ma'as salawat صلى على محمد